And I'm here today for our third episode with Uchi and Alberto, who are in Mexico City, throwing parties called Tracion. So listen up. Are you, how many residents are there? So the residents for Tracion are regularly the Retira, which is Uchis. And there's a couple of people that um, play regularly that I would consider to be residents too. And that would be Tayana and Lau from the Nasiku. And Roxy Moore is also a resident because she's played with us many times. Cool, so like an honorary resident, but she's not based in Mexico, right? No, she's based in Berlin. Uchi, what's your name again? The Retira. Melted, like melted, you divide melted, like melted. And you also DJ or produce or perform or? 
No, I'm, I'm, I'm more like a, a music programmer. Mm -hmm. I work with different projects in music programming. And I also promote shows. And I, I mean, I, I'm a DJ. I consider myself as a DJ, more like a selector. And I only play in tradition or like very friendly and, and like... Yeah, more casual and more if, like my friends invite me to play, it's fine. Like, I'm happy to play, you know? Your role with Traicion is more in the form more of like, like production? Yeah, exactly. More with Alberto and Diego in the music programming side and operations and yeah. And I would say you're, I, I think the proper title for you would be producer of the party, but not producer as musical producer. You're always producing the event itself. Yeah, I mean, I, yes, I like do the hits to make things happen. And maybe like creative direction, things like that? Yeah, I mean, that's more like, I think that's more like Alberto's uh, kind of like, we respect what Alberto's opinion is on that direction. But yes, like we, like everyone has like a little part of everything. So it's like a collaboration between the four of us with everything, kind of. All of us have like a, very uh, specific role. Yeah, specific role. It's specific, but it's also fluid and like you understand each other's strengths and weaknesses, kind of, it sounds like. We've known each other for quite a while now, and we've worked together previously in other music projects, like other parties, other festivals, and in a way, the four of us were already like programming different infrastructures, and at some point we were like, how come we do all these music events and shit and we don't do anything catering to the queer public? Join forces and like create a tradition. How long ago was that? This is like three years and a half ago. So when you first started it, were you, was the vision like, oh, let's just try it? Or was it let's go for something that's super regular, like monthly or... Yeah, something. it took us a while to be very disciplined with it. And then it was like, we have to do it. Like, there's like a huge opportunity to do something for the queer community, so we just started doing more constantly. And you saw that there was a need, like in the community, there was a need for it. Yeah. But I would say from the beginning, we did have like a proper vision of what we wanted. Like I remember one of the earlier conversations, we wanted this to eventually become bigger. and. I remember one of those nights we said, like, we need to do this in order to do shit like programming Grace Jones at Bellas Artes or stuff like that. The vision was there from the beginning, but it took us a little bit of discipline to become it, like, to turn it into a regular monthly. And so that is that where it is now? It's You guys have a full-on monthly? Yes. Is it is it at the same venue? No, it's a very... Um, traveling party in the sense that almost every month we shift places. There's a couple of regular cocktail bars that we use like the Parlamento, but we, we usually try to be also diverse in terms of venues because it really shifts the energy and helps us like change uh, the mood for each of the editions.
I've looked at some of the the past like events like descriptions and lineups it's like all DJs or live performances but it looks like some of your events have quite a few like quite a quite a number of um of names and so does that mean that the the parties are really long or that you have like multiple rooms usually very long because we start at 4 p.m. the original format is what we call in Spanish atardeada or like an afternoon party so the idea is that you get there early uh, it's still daylight, and then as the afternoon progresses, the party starts becoming more and more integrated and a little bit more upbeat. And then it ends around like midnight or 1 a.m., because typically it happens on Sundays. So we wanted the party to sort of fi finish early so people can go back to their homes and not feel like completely devastated morning, morning, Monday morning. Proper queer partying like, you know, not at the wee hours in the morning, but like daytime stuff. Yeah, that's, and we thought it about like this because there was nothing going on on a Sunday and we thought on a Sunday and we thought it was uh, going to hang out and have a cocktail and just chill and maybe then it gets wild, but you can decide to go early and just like talk, you know, like really connect. I mean, you can you can also connect in the dance floor, but we thought also more in a format of like interacting more closely on a conversation. So it's super social. Yeah. Like when you get to Traición, there's different moments. Early in the afternoon, sometimes we even host like a conversation with like an expert or like um, or like an important figure for the for the queer life of the city. And after the conversation. We usually try to program DJs that play more with vinyl, so the mixing is a little bit more spaced out and not so dance floor. Mm -hmm. And then around like 8, 9 p.m., we have the performance. And after the performance, which is usually like a complicit, shared, intimate moment, that's when the dance floor really articulates and it becomes like a proper club night. So there's a real like um, trajectory of the, of the event. Exactly. So the performance is usually cu curated and organized by Pepe Romero. He's the, the performance curator in a way. When we started Traición, we wanted really to showcase uh, more closer to contemporary art performance and not, not the typical drag queen show that you're used to at like gay parties. So these performances can be anything from like something very sentimental, like very tragic or like intimate to something completely fun and more theatrical. Lately we've also been programming like groups of dancers and choreographers, cabaret performers, actual theater actors. Sometimes we have like dramatic poetry readings. It's very different. It's like a very wide range of performances. When you come to when you come to the party, you're just like you just remain open minded. Like you're like, I could see any number of things this afternoon or this evening and I I know that like this is a community that I like and it's a community that I trust, so I'm just going to be like down. Exactly. I mean, of course there have been moments when, where people have been like freaked out or some performances have eventually gotten some media attention that was not necessarily like positive, but we're like okay with that. It's part of the party social and like so by now our audience is in a way accustomed to or knows what to expect. It also sounds like it, it affords the party like a lot of variation. Describe the sound of the party. Well, it's very diverse in that sense. Um, we have a tagline for the party that's Sexo Diverso. Um, I don't know how to properly translate it to English. It would be like diverse sexuality or something like that. We, <laughs> yeah. we didn't want to call it queer. Mm -hmm. Queer in Mexico City has like a very political connotation. It's mm -hmm. almost punk or anarchic or anarchist. But we also wanted to cater to the queer side of things that are not necessary or that political. Like we're also talking about like a sophisticated, comfortable queer. So in terms of music, it is diverse like that. We can program one, uh, one night like reggaeton and perreo and the next one would be like 80s new wave or like psychedelic cum or like straight up techno. Some of the nights are programmed with a very specific theme in mind, like an edition. And some of them are just like very uh, mixed and diverse. For example, the one we're working for February, 
it happens to be at the same time as the Art Week and the Art Fair in the city. So we decided to do a little, uh, something a little bit more artsy, and we're recreating this like mythical performance that happened in the late 80s in Mexico City in a gay bar called El Nueve. It was done by Juan José Burrola, a multidisciplinary Mexican artist, and David Hopney, the British painter. So we're doing kind of a remix of that performance, and we're inviting uh, a bunch of local artists to intervene. It's going to be like an ephemeral mural, so the party will happen inside and around this mural that we're all going to be painting. So for example, for this lineup, we decided to do a little bit of references or throwback to the original gay bar that, that was open during the 80s. The host is the original manager of the bar called Henri Donadieu. And then one of the DJs is this famous journalist called Guillermo Torno, who wrote the book that sort of chronicles this like underground gay scene from the 80s. So in that sense, the music will also skew a little bit towards that era and that feeling. Mega 
canción in that sense really gets inspired and sort of celebrates big names or the personalities that make the gay and queer culture happen in the city. So in that sense, it's quite transgenerational when you find like, I don't know, really old school DJs or like older performance taking part in the, in the party. That was also important for us to be able to cross over between generations and not just be like a party for people our age. So do you, do you really notice that in, inside the parties? Yes. Um, yeah, you do see like older senores or like grown-up lesbians. Very, uh, you see the new generation and you see old people too. Any queer space that I've been to, so the, the age demographic seems so tight. So that sounds really special in that sense. Yeah, because also, I mean, Alberto also says this a lot. It's also like, it's a party where you're comfortable. You will never, it's like, in a way, kind of sophisticated because we care about the production, we care about the crowd being safe and about uh, having good drinks, like having a good vibe overall. And that, that's what we understand about sophistication in Traición because we try not to make it neither trashy, we could do a rave, like we did with Hunter in an abandoned fabric, but it will be, you will feel safe. You will feel like in a place you really want to be. And still comfortable, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people, I think some, sometimes people think like for it to be like a true warehouse rave, like there has to be like no seating. It's like, come on, <laughs> we need to sit down. Totally. Yeah. Um, but the original format happens mostly at cocktail bars. So I like to say this analogy that it's not like a red plastic cup kind of party. Mm -hmm. It's more like a martini glass kind of party. Mm -hmm. So what is it like to throw these parties? Like, do you do, you do um, advanced ticket sales? Do you have like a door policy? Um, we actually, we don't have like a door policy, but our door policy is cat. Donahue, that she's in charge of like kind of like filtering and telling the people what's the party about if they look too like out of place from the party, but it's not like we don't let you in, you know? So uh, it's more there to just inform people like what they're about to get into, what the, what the scene might be like. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's more about that. And in terms of ticketing, yes, yeah, sometimes if we, it's a big event, we do free sales. If not, we just charge like the same day. I think role, uh, the role that Kat and Orlando play at the door is super crucial for the party. Um, they really do function as a filter and they kind of really protect the space in that sense. Now we're trying to, um, how do you say this in English, to do proper training for the staff because some of the venues that we have used are not necessarily too compatible with a queer audience. So we have to do a little bit of training with places that are not that familiar with the kind of event that we do. Yeah, like maybe the staff that's there, it's like the first time they've ever been inside a queer space. How is the, how is the city, what, what, are, what are some of the um, restrictions that you run into in terms of like curfew or what city policies? Oh my God, that, if that's different for every venue or for every edition that we do. Um, I remember the last New Year's Eve party that we did, like last year ago. That one was in an abandoned warehouse too. Well, it was not abandoned, it was like a warehouse. And that we had to like locally deal with the police. Like we told them about the event, how it was going to be. Um, then this past New Year's Eve party, we did it in an abandoned um, sex club in downtown. And that was kind of very hidden away. And we, since we started promoting the party, we were very vocal about the fact that it was limit, limited capacity and that it was only going to be advanced ticketing. So it changes from addition to addition, really. But again, um, since we all come from a promoting kind of um, job and profession, we're only able to do this kind of party now that we have all this experience and like all this infrastructure to like do it with. So each event is a bit like an isolated entity, like the rules change no matter, depending on where you are and, you know, how big, how big the space is, you might have to adjust some of the strategies. Totally. But it sounds like there's not much resistance from the city. It is tricky. 
the way you have to navigate nightlife. Legally, uh, parties are supposed to end at 3 a.m. And then um, we usually uh, work with places that have already uh, sort of like deal with the local authorities. Okay. So in that sense, that responsibility won't rest in our hands. So we're working with clubs that are licensed, um, spaces that are mostly legal. I don't know. We kind of don't want to take that in our hands. So... I would say at the moment nightlife is running smoothly. Maybe it's because we're in this moment where it's changing administration, so it's like kind of a year where everything is like, like beginning to sell, settle down again. So it's like some clubs, clubs pop up. Um, it's also like corrupt local corruption has to like happen for like clubs to keep running smoothly. I, I would say it's a pretty easy moment for the nightlife in the city. It was not so much a few years ago, and I can't really assure how it will be from one year now, but mm -hmm. at the moment it's pretty chill. At least you have like one thing that feels on your side. Mm -hmm.
aside from just keeping going with the monthly events, do you have other plans to like to take the concept um, on the road? Or have you done that before? We've done Traición in San Francisco during Folsom Street Fair. We've done it in Berlin in a collaboration with Room for Resistance. We've done it in Los Angeles with Mustache LA. Um, and yeah, we want to travel again this summer. We'll probably go to a couple of places in Europe. We're thinking about Paris, Berlin, and possibly London. But in order for us to travel or be able to manifest in a different city, we need to partner with a queer-minded collective. Because mm -hmm. we can't just show up in the city and pretend to do our party. We need like a local support to like do it in a proper collaboration style. In terms of other plans for Traición, Lately, we've been getting involved a little bit with sexual health and promotion of, like, I don't know, um, health discussion. So we're working on a um, directory of um, health services that are queer-friendly, local for Mexico City. So this would include different um, health services, like, I don't know, dentists, therapists, dermatologists, etc., all with a sort of um, approved or like that we know are queer friendly. Creating a database and like making connections, like you're, you're basically doing the legwork for people who might be otherwise like afraid to reach out to health professionals. Exactly. Collaboration with an AC called And this is like a nonprofit community that you found? Yes. Uh, they specialize in providing rapid tests like HIV and other um, STIs. So we work with them twice. They take this um, sort of testing band to the party, and outside the party, we create like this space for you to get like I don't know, like a test for different STIs. And that's has that been successful and well received? It has. We've done it twice at like big events. We did it in the last uh, Pride party, and. Yeah, it's, it's, it's working good. Some people are weirded out by the idea of taking an HIV test in a party, but um, I don't know, for others, it really represents like an opportunity or really the only time mm. where they can do it. So it's a, it's a strategy that they do with other parties and other events, and it seems to be working fine. And you said that's right outside the party? Yeah, like in a tent outside the party. And super safe, like safe space created, all like anonymous, like that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, they take care of all that. Yeah. They also have like proper psychological, they call it, not health, but like continuation. Like in case if you get a reactive result, mm. like there's people right there to like help you, what are the next steps to take, or in case you need like emotional support, etc. They set up that whole infrastructure. We have to just provide the space, the electricity for it, and like audit them, and then they take care of all the setup. So the so it doesn't end at the results. There's like support afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So for example, the last party that we did, about nine, like ninety people took the test. So now we're thinking about other strategies to keep working with them. And how far, how far in advance do you plan um, do you plan the events? Are you all like six months out? You're all or organized with bookings and venues, and is this time frame a bit shorter than that? Some things are planned way ahead. Like for example, last week we got together to discuss uh, like a six month calendar. Some other months are just planned in a few days. Some events are only promoted like one week in advance. Um, some of them are super programmed and some of them are more spontaneous. The venues that you use more regularly, what are those capacities like? Departamento fits about 200 to 250 people. And then when we do a big event like Pride, that can go up to 1,500. I prefer the smaller intimate ones. The more, the more cocktail bar oriented, like intimate? Yes, those feel more theatrical, they feel more, um, I don't know, just more intimate. The other ones are like proper raves or like, I don't know, they're like big, bigger events to produce, which are always cool, but like ourselves as a team producing, um, we don't have that much fun doing it that way, you know, because there's a lot more going on.
What else do you think you could share that I like wouldn't know to ask? Like that's particular to your. We we could talk maybe about the mythology behind the party. Yes, please. Um, when we when we started it, we were really keen on creating a couple of references that people would continuously um, sort of recognize. One of them being the polencho or the graphic identity of the party. This is an imaginary Hispanic deity that we worship. It can be either mask, femme, or trans. And when we commission the artist to draw it, we tell them it's a pre-Hispanic deity of anal sex and sex change. So every edition has a different artist design the character. And we put a flag that hangs the, behind the CDJs. And then we do a very limited run of Silk Spring t-shirts for mainly all the artists listed on the lineup, and some are sold directly at the door. So it's kind of going back to the idea of merch, like what you would get like outside a concert or outside a party. So if you want one of the t-shirts, you really have to come to the party together. Sometimes we do put them up in the online shop, but it's, but it's only what, what was left of the party. So in that sense, if you see someone walking on the street with one of the Tricion t-shirts, you kind of like know that they were in that specific edition. Um, so far we have 37 different designs. They're all from different artists. Wow. Last year we did an exhibition in Bogota, Colombia, where it was the first time that we showed the Polencho archive, like all the flags and all the designs that have been commissioned for the art. This summer, uh, I showed the archive again in the summer show at Palais de Tokyo in Paris to ask a local artist, because that way some of the audience can like recognize it. 
I will say like now that you're now that you're speaking about the the graphics in particular like because I don't speak Spanish a lot of what I rely on when I look at the, like the work you do at least in the social media it relies heavily on that on that image and on that graphic and and I don't even know what the text says but I I cannot I can kind of understand or I think I can feel the energy behind that that artwork amazing we've also recently premiered our custom made typeface so now there's a polencho regular font that we use for everything something interesting to discuss would be talking about the photographers of the party we usually work with a stable photographer it's kind of who takes care of the register of the party at the moment we're working with a photographer called patricio malagon and a videographer called um Lucky. Well, we call him Lucky, but his real name is Daniel Torres. So he's really talented. Yeah. You said he's a videographer. Exactly. Because for the longest time we didn't have a proper register of the performances except the, the pictures, but some of the performances that we've been putting up lately are highly visual. Decided to start documenting those as well. So Lucky is taking care of the video register, and Pat Malagón is taking the pictures. The original photographer of Tradición was Alan, and he was sort of responsible for how the party looked to the outside. So we relied very heavily on his pictures. But he passed away like a year and a half ago. Yeah, that was like a big moment for the whole crew, for the Tradición family. I bet. He was, re he was really a figure of like just queer culture and nightlife in the city. And when, when Alan passed away, for me at least, was really the moment when I realized that Tradición was actually like a form in Thai community, because everyone sort of manifested in support of that. that. And I don't know, for me it's very to always give credit to all the people that are behind the, the party, because usually people tend to only pay attention to the DJs that are playing, mm -hmm. but, like, but that's why in Tradición you see a bunch of names on the lineup, because we try to include everyone from like our door person to like who, whoever's taking the pictures, etc. Wow, that's that feels really unique to me, and I and I think that's probably when I was saying that I always see like a long list of names, and I don't really know who's doing what. That's probably what I was feeling like. Oh, there's so many people involved. I don't really know in what capacity, but look at this. Like, look at look at this. Not look at these numbers. What is what does Mexican jihad sound like? Mexican jihad, I like to describe it as promiscuous club. It's very energetic, it's very fun. It can be anything from like reggaeton to like top 40 pop music to like really obscure club. I don't know, at the beginning, I guess Mexican jihad did have like a proper sound personality, but as time passes by, I'm really getting more, um, how to say it in English, more com complacent with the audience, like I just want people to have fun. That sense, it's a very gay DJ. So, so your concern is less and less with the sound and more and more with like the response and the energy? Yeah, um, I've been DJing now for, for more, almost eight years. So yeah, at the beginning I was very, I wanted to have like a, I don't know, like a proper sound vision. But lately it's more about having fun. And it's and it's and inside the party is where you get to really make that happen. Yes. Oh, I was just going to ask if you if you play at other parties because I know Uchi said that um, she mostly just plays inside Tracion, but do you do you play a bit around Mexico or even in the states or elsewhere? Yes. Um, well, my other project is Nafi, and that's an electronic music label. So with Nappy, I do travel a lot to DJ, um, mm -hmm. pretty much everywhere. Uh, we have a, a booker for each continent. And outside Nappy and Traición, lately I've been getting booked in some of the local uh, clubs. And last year I made a resolution to try to play all the gay parties in town. So mm -hmm. I'm currently focusing on that, which is kind of hard in the sense that you have to adapt to the different sound personalities that the gay parties have. Like some of them are more circuit, some of them are strictly techno, and some of them are more relaxed. So you're saying like you're, you're, be you're becoming more versatile based on this challenge of yours? Yes. And you like it? So far, yes. So far, yes. 
maybe we can talk about what we're doing for Festival Ceremonia. That's kind of, we're preparing this big stage for the festival. So what, so what is the festival? The festival is called Ceremonia. It's one of the biggest ones in the city. Well, not the biggest, but a really big one. It happens outside Mexico City in a town called Toluca. It would be like 40 minutes away from here. And it happens and every it, year. It happens every year. It's pretty big. Like the headliners are sort of like Bjork, Nazis Attack, this year Apex Twin Flame. Um, and last year they invited us to host a small Traicion tent. It was a, a geodesic dome that fitted like 500 people. But it was a, completely, a complete success and the lines to go inside the dome were like huge. So this year they decided to move us to a bigger tent and now we're preparing for 2,000 people. And when, when will this happen? This happens on April 6th. It's a one-day festival. It happens on Saturday. We haven't revealed the lineup yet, but this year we're presenting. The headliner is this Canadian uh, producer called Marie Davidson. She's very fun. She produces this, like, sort of, I don't know how to call it, like, feminist techno or something like that. Mm -hmm. she, has, she has a very um, great sense of humor with her music. Then we're also having Serpent with Beats. We're also having Paca, this South African duo. They're amazing. We have shared, uh, I have shared stages with them in Europe, but this is the first time they're going to play in, in Mexico. It was kind of a big booking for us to convince the festival to invest in an act that's so far away. Mm -hmm. You know, like flying someone from South Africa to Mexico City is like quite a deal. And then we're also presenting Young Boy Dancing Group. Um, there's this performance dance duo, uh, group from, I think they're based in Vienna or Berlin, I'm not sure. So they're very famous for this performance called PowerPoint Presentation, where they do sort of like pyramids, and each one of the performers has a laser stuck in their, in their asses. So they do like light formations with their butts. David is also playing. She's a... Um, a Latin American music producer from Monterrey, but she's based in New York. Um, who else is playing? Defensa from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Mm -hmm. They're like an R&B Spanish hip hop duo. They're super young. We're very excited to, to feature them. Ian Isa, Ian Isa or Ian Isaia, I don't know how to pronounce it. He's this MC and rapper that usually tours with Blood Orange. And used to be very involved with the HBA crew, the fashion label. Me and Pepe are pairing a performance for for like the middle of the of the night. Still don't know what we're doing, but we're very excited about it. This is the first time we get a proper commercial sponsorship, which has been very hard because brands always want to jump in the queer bandwagon and right. be like. We're part of the community wherever, right. but it's been very hard for us to secure like funds or sponsorship because they they still feel the party is quite extreme and they don't want to take like any commercial risks, you know. Did you have to hire or seek like further support to to make all this happen, or did the the Tracion crew you guys just put your heads together and like made it work just with your core members? It's the core members, but also working very closely with the festival uh, team. With the so it's, okay, it's a festival that takes care of like the production in those in that sense. Okay, and and you and you had you've worked with them last year, so you had a little bit of experience. You you kind of know them a little bit at this point, so it's just yeah. doing everything you've done already, but just bigger. Exactly, April sixth. It's going to be really cool. Rosalie is also playing this amazing Spanish artist that does like contemporary flamenco, Apex Queen, Massive Attack. I, I don't know. The lineup is pretty exciting. And you said it's for, you said it's just forty minutes outside of Mexico City. Yeah, you kind of have to get there by car, but the festival has like a special bus um, shuttling systems. Shuttling, exactly. Okay. Pretty much anyone who's in music, interested in music, will be there. Yeah, um, that's kind of a real thing for Traición. Since I was telling you that pretty much 
everyone is involved in the music industry some way or the other. That's also one of the benefits of the party that sometimes an artist will be like passing through town on the way to like a big tour or like a big date and then they play Traición kind of on the side because like, I don't know, they're friends with one of the pro programmers, etc. But yeah, it's a good time for you, to, for you to come. It would be very fun. What's your plan for Europe? So um, I'm doing the Palais de Tokyo June 20. Then um, our booker in Europe is helping us on some dates for Traición. So we will probably do London at the beginning of the month. And then all the other weekends, we're programmed to do stuff in Berlin. We're playing this party called Perceptual, another one called Button, and then this queer festival called Hall.